welcome to the Locust and Honey Podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We are also proud members of the Biblical and Reformed Network. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near." Revelation 1, 1 through 3. Well, hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey Podcast. I'm Andrew. And I am Matt. And this is episode 39. 39. Man. And we are going to talk about whether or not this is the end once more. Last day's question mark? Last day's question mark. Part four. Part four. Man, that's a quad. Sure is. A quad. <laughs> one whole quad. Speaking of quads, I didn't do leg day today. Well, because it's Monday. Yeah. Chest and tries. Oh, well. I actually didn't go to the gym this morning either. I'm offended. It's a shame. It's a shame. Well, we're going to start back up. at it tomorrow. That's true. We've been on fall break, which might roll into our affirmations and denials. Uh, may or may not. It could. But it could. Well, because I think I know what you're going to deny. Me? Uh-huh. Well, I was going to deny that, but then I'm going to I'm going to not deny that because Wow. Yeah. You've been carrying our listeners along on the journey though. <laughs> okay, I'll briefly deny it okay. so that we can conclude the journey. Well, let's uh jump in since we've already dipped our toe in the pool of right. affirmations and denials. All right. Let's just cannonball straight in. Cool. You want to affirm or deny? I'll affirm my Ooh. affirmation. All right. Yeah. You want to go first? Okay. 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 Um, so, I'm going to affirm the uh, fruits of going through all sorts of different seasons in life. I feel like no matter what season in life you're in, um, when you're in Christ, you're being sanctified. And so there are fruits that come from that, whether it's a season of um, rejoicing, an easy season, or, or a, you know, just a, a season that's not too difficult or a season that is difficult. Um, either way, God is faithful to um, continue to mold us into the likeness of Christ. And so um, the season that we've been in has been for the last probably two years, my wife, Emma, and I, well, we got married almost two years ago. 
And then we moved down to Valdosta, Georgia, which is about an hour and 45 minutes from where we live now. Yeah. And we got a job, or I got a job at the church we're at. And so for the first, you know, what was it? Three months or so. Wow. Um, we would drive back and forth an hour and 45 minutes to church. Um, but we'd come up Saturday night, we'd stay with Matt and Tiffany, and then we'd be here all day on Sunday and then we'd go back home and I actually had another job in Valdosta. So it was, it was a, a crazy time. Um, and then, you know, we get here and we're fully immersed in ministry and it's the first ministry. Uh, I mean, it's my first actual legitimate ministry, like, position. I did ministry in college, but like, this is different. (laughs) And so, um, I don't know, there were ups and there were downs and it feels like, um, there have been times where I've been really excited. There have been times where I've been really, um, I guess frustrated and, and I I mean, just kind of discouraged. And then there, it's, so it's been a little bit of everything. And I think I'm getting to a point now where I, I feel like, I'm beginning to see, you know, my, what I said in my affirmation more clear than I ever really have, which is that, you know, I, I, I on my way here, I was kind of looking back at like where I was at in college, theologically, where I was at in college, you know, before I got this job. Yeah. Um, and before I started really the postgraduate because that's really when the whole season started was after I graduated college. Cause then after that COVID hit and <laughs> right. it was crazy. And so, um, I was a completely different like person. I feel, I mean, not a different person, but like, yeah, it was just night and day difference. At least I feel like as far as where I'm at spiritually and theologically and, um, just on a personal level, working through ministry and working in ministry and things like that. I feel like there's just been a lot of fruits in this season. And so I've been thankful for that. So it's been good reflection. So that's my affirmation is the fruits that come out of every season in life. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, I like it. I'm going to affirm in two weeks. So... I guess a week from this. I'm trying to think of when this launches. But um, we are coming up on our one year as a podcast. So this episode will come out on the 23rd and then the 30th. So next week Mm. will be our one year. Man. I know. Pretty cool. It's crazy. Um, No. This will come out today. (laughs) (laughs) So we got one more episode. Yes. And then our year, uh, our annual, what are we going to call it? I don't know. Our our annual question cast. There you go. Annual question cast. Which is our birthday celebration and a celebration of Reformation Day and all of that jazz. So um, I'm affirming doing this. It's been fun. I've been enjoying it. Yeah. And I hope that it's fruitful for other people to listen in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but like going back and thinking about our first episode and what we said we were wanting to do, I think that we've been doing that. And uh, basically that's 
when you were driving down here every weekend, we started having conversations and that was kind of what spawned this podcast was, yeah. hey, we're talking about this. Let's just start recording it. That way other people can listen or we can, if people have questions for us, we can point them to episodes or our kids one day can listen to us as we're working through these different things. And, uh, and so I've, yeah, I've enjoyed it. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to have made it a year. Looking forward to see what ends up becoming of this in the future. And, uh, we've been growing a little bit, you know, um, in, in listeners, but then also in, uh, we've been able to have some, some guests come on the show and I'm very appreciative to all of them and looking forward to seeing who else we're going to be having on the show. Yeah. So, and it's allowed us to have conversations with those around us too that we may not have talked to about some of these things. Yeah. You know, it's gotten people curious. So that's right. been good. Yeah. And we've only missed, let's see, it'll be our 42nd episode, right? Yes. So that means we only missed 10 in a year. Yeah. <laughs> and Most that, of that was, was due to technical that was difficulties. Technical difficulties. Yeah. But now we are a, uh, Rolling. <laughs> we got it going. We've, That's right. Uh, we've simplified our process. Yeah. And now you get to hear great things like this. So here's to the Locust and Honey Podcast. Yes. Yes. So... <laughs> the person in that sound effects. Woo! <laughs> Woo! That's my mom. They get excited. That's what my mom that would be doing. It's excited. Yeah. All right. I'm going to lead off with the denial. Okay. I'm going to deny going to Disney with the flu. Oh. Yeah, I would deny that too. Well, we, uh, so we're not denying that it occurred. We're denying it occurred, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm denying it. Uh, but we actually had a, a pretty good time. So we had booked a Disney trip right before my youngest son was born. Uh, my wife was pregnant with him, and he was a twin, so she was pregnant with twins. Um, but right before he was born, uh, we ended up going to Disney with my sister and my dad. And so now that the boys are getting older, my youngest son is now three. We're like, all right, we're going to go on one more Disney trip while they're kids, let them do all that. And, uh, and so we booked it about a year ago and then Disney decided with their whole, you know, we're going to make trans people in our movies and all this stuff. Mm. So like, okay, this was probably our last trip to Disney. Um, but, so we had it booked, and like four days before we left, my oldest son came home sick right before fall break with um, a fever, and so we took him to the doctor. We went ahead and got my other two boys checked out, and they all tested positive for the flu. We're like, oh, man, <laughs> that's cool. Mm. Um, so they got on. Uh, the doctor said it's the flu. Uh, we can't give them... You know, there's Tamiflu, but little kids, it makes them nauseous. So they said that's probably just worse. Just let them ride it out. And three to four days, they should be feeling better, which is right about when we went. So um, 
my oldest son had a fever for a couple of days and uh, started feeling better around Monday or Tuesday. And then Monday, I got a fever mm. and Tiff had a fever. And, uh, and then Monday night, my middle son got a fever and we're leaving Tuesday morning to drive down to Disney. And so, mm-hmm. um, so we, we took some medicine, got Tamiflu called in and was taking that, me and my wife and, uh, woke up Tuesday, drove down there. Oh my gosh. We got there. Um, How long of a drive is that? It was like five and a half hours, oh. six hours stopping. But, um. So we got down there to our hotel, walked around a little bit. Everybody was kind of wore out. Went to bed, woke up Wednesday, went to Animal Kingdom. And my middle-aged son, he had a a, a fever the whole day when he wasn't on medicine. <laughs> um, so we'd give him medicine and he'd feel good for like two hours. And then uh, his fever would start to climb back up. So that night we took him to a med stop and he had a double ear infection as well. So Gosh. they gave him some antibiotics and then he started feeling a lot better. So, uh, we went down there sick. We came back. Everybody was well on the men. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was fun. Yeah. We had a good time. Yeah. Um, my kids were troopers and, uh, they, they, they had fun swimming and going, we went to animal kingdom and magic kingdom, rode a bunch of roller coasters, did all that stuff and had a good time. So, uh, but yeah, I, I deny going down there with the flu. Mm. Tiff was sick, uh, basically until we got home. <laughs> so she, uh, well, at least was, she's well enough to go back to school now. <laughs> yeah. So she was a trooper too. We got home Saturday and then Sunday, everybody started to feel a lot better. We yeah. All back to normal. Uh, all the boys woke up this morning. They're singing as they're doing their hair and getting ready. And <laughs> they're all feeling better. So, yeah. so that is my denial. Um, we were going to cancel it or like reschedule it. And they're like, nope, you've already paid. You can't oh get my out gosh. of it. So uh, if you hear about people getting sick at Disney, it's because they make you go <laughs> no matter <laughs> what. Because uh, you can't get out of your your uh, reservations so we did uh but we had fun it was a good time well that's good my mom was sick my sister got sick um it's a good time (laughs) man yeah good times huh but like i said though it was fun uh the boys they they had a good time trooped right through it and um had fun. So I didn't know what it was going to be like though. I was like, this, this could be a disaster. (laughs) So, uh, if anybody got the flu from us, we are truly sorry. (laughs) We hope you get better. Yes. (laughs) Um, well, I'm going to have two denials. One of them is deeper than the other, but, uh, so one, our Braves. (laughs) Oh man. They were doing so good They were this doing year. so well. Until they weren't. They crashed and burned, and it was horrible. And the, and the Phillies caught fire. Yeah. But um, I hope I hope that uh, this isn't a continuous thing that because of the new playoff structure just happens where you get these... Division winners who go and they get a first round bye, 
in the because it happened to the Dodgers too. Yeah. And now the Yankees might get eliminated in the American League. So if that happens, then the only division winner to make it to the championship series will be the Astros. Yeah. Well, I mean, technically Cleveland won their division, but the only team who got a first round bye to make it to the championship series would be the Astros. And so it's like my hope is that that doesn't happen every year because then it's like, oh, then where's the advantage? Is the advantage in knowing that you're going to play a lesser team for three days and just doing it to stay hot, you know? Or is it going to be in, you know, getting the first round by and having the rest? I think, I hope that what will happen is the teams that get first round buys will learn how to rest better <laughs> right not take it as a, and, yeah because uh, the Braves were a completely different team when yeah they, they, played the Phillies. they were bad I mean it was they played like the Phillies yeah and the <laughs> Phillies played like the Braves yeah it, yeah but I think it's cool like if you're a Phillies fan if you're a Phillies fan out there that's awesome man like you're having a good ride the wave that's what yeah. we did last year just rode the wave mm-hmm. and I don't know we'll see what happens because the Padres I didn't, I didn't see how hot they were, but the Phillies are on fire, so I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Um, so, I'll deny the Braves mm. and the suffering that that produced, but I will also deny um, a more important issue, <laughs> which is um, that I feel like there is a disservice being done to... Uh, and we talked about this before, but younger people, well, and older people, I guess, who grow up in the church and we don't realize the stuff that we grow up with until, like, we don't realize the consequences of the, of the theology, I should say, that we grow up with until it plays itself out in a very crucial moment in time. So, for example, um, I think that at this particular moment in the culture, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of pagan people doing work that Christians ought to be doing as far as pointing things out, calling out what's going on. Um, I saw a uh, so like Kanye West, for example, he mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you saw this, but he and Candace Owens went to a um, gala whatever they're called in Paris where there's just a bunch of like, you know, liberal people, woke people there just it's a Paris gala. Right. Yeah. And they wore white lives matter shirts to them (laughs) because not necessarily to the reason was because they were calling out woke racial, uh, baiting caused by black lives matter. Right. Yeah. And so, but they're two black people and they did this and they both confessed to be Christians. I don't know. Right. You know, I'm not going to sit and say whether or not they are, but like that should be happening every Sunday. Like that should be happening by like churches should be doing that. Not necessarily wearing white lives matter shirts, but like, you know, but where the culture is being sharp and calling out where the culture is wrong. And I think that what we've disguised that as is, well, you're not loving your neighbor. You're not meeting them where they're at. You're not having grace. You're not being gentle for the Compassion. sake. Compa- having empathy mm-hmm. for the sake of, and then they'll talk about how Paul says, you know, be gentle, be kind for the sake of 
producing yeah. or having them repent. It's you funny know? though that they, they quote the guy that was beheaded. For- well, I, yeah. I mean, Paul was, <laughs> Paul was like, yeah. I wish they'd emasculate themselves. Like you foolish yeah. Galatians. Like he was, he was very, very, very sharp when he needed yeah. to be. Now it's not to say that you just go around chopping people's heads off, but at the same time, there are certain things where you do need to do that. And right. I think that we've just not done that at all. And it's caused these monsters to become bigger than they need to be. Yeah. You know, so, um, that's something that I've been seeing and noticing the past few days. And so I, I, I'll deny that. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. The church definitely needs to, um, be the mouthpiece of Christ to the culture around us a lot more. Um, kind of how you had, you know, the prophets in the old Testament and they were brash, mm-hmm. um, you know, but we need that. <laughs> Uh, people that are willing to say, thus saith the Lord, and uh, being unapologetic and dig our heels in on the hills that our hills need to be dug in. We're right. fighting. Yeah. We're doing that just on the wrong hills. Right. You know? So, um, and, and a lot of it's backbiting with each other. Um, but to kind of transition into today's conversation, there was a guy... <laughs> That would do that very poignantly. And his name is G.K. Chesterton. Ah. I've got a quote from him. He said, Though St. John, the evangelist, saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as, the, as one of his own commentators <laughs> on the book of Revelation. <laughs> and so, um, today... To kind of wrap up this four-part series, we started this. uh, So last day's question mark, part four, uh, we've been looking at, are we in the last days? There's been a lot of talk that we're in the last days. Um, I've seen it all over. Social media, they're talking about the Euphrates River's drying up and what that's going to do as soon as it dries up is all these demons are going to come out of the river and destroy humanity. Uh, You've got Russia's threat of nuclear war. You've got Iran and you know them going crazy china's wanting to pop stuff off so people are looking at what's going on around us and they're saying uh the end is near so we've been going through the all of it discourse because a lot of people pull from that Mm. and they say you know this is all the last days um the generation that sees these things happen is is the generation and so people are saying these are the things that are happening here's how it lines up with all of it discourse so we've tried to have a consistent look at the all of all of it discourse to show what that was actually talking about and that was talking about the destruction of jerusalem the destruction of god's old covenant people um and that he is replacing them with a new covenant people, uh, which is the church. And um, so today I want to kind of look at Revelation because there's a lot of things in Revelation um, that people just get super confused about. And uh, just like Chesterton said, there's some people that when they get into Revelation and they start saying this means this and this means that, like the beasts that they create are are far more um, <laughs> beastly yeah. um, and strange than what John saw in his Revelation. So um, 
we want to continue just being consistent with the book of Revelation. And are the last days near? Um, what does this mean looking at that? So what I'm going to do is I've got some main points that I want to hit. Um, and, and we'll just kind of flip through and look at those things. We don't have time to break down all of the chapters of Revelation and work through that. Um, there are, we might do that at some point in time, but um, this will be the, the concluding episode on this series. So uh, we're just going to hit the highlights, the, the main things. When you talk to somebody about this, when, when, when you're making the case, which we are post-millennial, um, we believe that we are in the millennial reign with Christ, and uh, that's what we've been trying to consistently show through the word. But um, when you start to explain this to people, um, you can lay it out scripturally, consistently, using all of the Bible. But then they say, well, what about what about the beast? What about the mark of the beast? What about um, the... You know, there's all these things that come up, the 144,000. What do you do with, um, you know, that kind of stuff? What do you do with the Antichrist? What do you do with the the two witnesses? Um, that kind of stuff. And so let's just hit those, um, all of those highlights and, and kind of work through this. So I'm going to start in, so Genesis chapter one through three, which is the introduction to all of this and revelation is John's revelation that was given to him on the Isle of Patmos by God. Um, he has this revelation. And, and so what is this a revelation of, um, start off one through three, uh, the first three chapters and you have John's taken up in this revelation and he's in heaven. He's in the presence of God. You mean, I think you said Genesis one two one through three, and then sorry, Revelation. Revelation, yeah, Revelation one through three. Um, but the first things we see are the seven spirits, the seven stars, and the seven lampstands. What does that represent? Um, the the seven lampstands are the seven churches of Asia, and um, John breaks that down. You, you see, you know, these these churches are, are talked to. Uh, the seven spirits, that seven in the Bible is represents perfection and holiness. Um, God's number is seven. On the seventh day, he rested, completeness, fulfillment, you know, uh, or finished completeness, uh, perfection. God rests on the seventh day. The seventh day is the Lord's. Um, and so the seven spirits represents the Holy Spirit. And then the seven stars are the uh, elders of the churches of Asia. Um, so the seven stars represent the pastors. The seven spirits represents the Holy Spirit. The seven lampstands represent the churches themselves. We are to be a light on a hill. We are to be a lampstand. And so that is those churches. Uh, then you see the throne and around the throne, you have all of this stuff. So yeah, with the seven churches, um, going back to, I guess, dispensationalism, there are, I would hear, uh, going back the church, a lot of times the church age is broken down 
into a, a different so ages church, of each church, right? Yeah. So like, there are a lot of people who would say that we are in the Laodicean church age because that is the last church that's listed right. in order here. So just a little yeah. tidbit on that, but. Yeah, um, and so what it's not doing, it's that's this isn't a timeline of church history. Right. Um, this is the seven churches that existed when John wrote the book of Revelation. Yep. When he has this revelation, these are the seven churches. And um, and so now there are, like you can look at your local church body and say, hey, we look or struggle with this same thing that this church struggles with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's good for us to read that to kind of help us see blind spots and, and stuff like that. But this isn't just the global church is going to go through these seven stages. Right. Um, these are the churches. And the seven stars are the pastors, the eldership, the leadership at those churches. And the seven spirits, that is the Holy Spirit who is leading and guiding the church. Um, so then around the church or around the throne, you see, uh, so first you see the 24 elders. Um, that are around the throne. And this is God's people. Uh, It's the elect. And specifically, you've got 12 tribes of Israel, which is old covenant people, and the 12 apostles of the church, which is the new covenant. So this represents all of God's people, Old Testament, New Testament, that are covered by the blood of Christ. Um, Old covenant people are covered by the future blood of Christ. New covenant people are covered by looking back to the cross and, um, but we're all saved by Christ, all saved by the blood. And the 24 elders are the representation of God's covenant people, uh, whether old or new Testament, 12 of the old with the 12 tribes, 12 of the new, which are the apostles and all of the offspring from those. Um, then you have the four beasts, and um, these beasts, they are covered with eyes. One looks like, what is it, an ox, a lion. Uh, uh, the face of a man is the third one. And then the fourth living creature is like an eagle in flight. Yeah. So uh, so these living creatures are seraphim. These are the angels of the Lord that are gathered around um, him and, and their whole job is to worship him and to bring glory to God. Um, we see other descriptions of the seraphim, and they're, des- they're described as being covered in eyes. Uh, you see in Isaiah 6 uh, a description of the seraphim there as well. I'm sorry, these aren't seraphim. These are the cherubim. Um, and so uh, so these four beasts, that's the cherubim. Six wings. It's also described in Isaiah 6. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so that's what you see there is the cherubim, um, standing by the throne. Um, let's see, uh, 24 elders we did. Let's go to chapter six. Uh, chapter six is one that you hear a lot. So this is the four horsemen. Um, and then this is also when you start to see these seals being opened up, um, so you see worship in chapter four, um, 
And then you also see in chapter five, Jesus takes power. Um, Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within it and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So it's perfectly sealed. Nobody can break these seals. Basically, this is a a deed to the earth. Um, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seal. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look on it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found to be worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a gold bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe, every language, every people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And he looked and, um, and so what's happening here is Jesus is taking power. Jesus has fulfilled everything that he was going to fulfill on earth. He has been crucified. Uh, He has died and rose again. He's conquered sin, death, and the grave. And um, he is now taking power. And John is seeing that take place um, in this revelation. And the elders and everybody fell down and worshiped. Now I watched, this is chapter six, verse one. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice, like thunder come and I looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came to conquer and he came out conquering and to conquer. Um, so the first seal unleashes the first horse, which is a white horse with a rider who conquers and he has a bow and a crown. When I opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and out of that came another horse bright red, its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another and was given a great sword. When I opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, uh, a core, sorry, a quart of wheat for a denarii and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over the four, over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts on the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witnesses that they bore. 
They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Um, <clears throat> then he opened the sixth seal, and I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell on the earth, and the fig tree shed its winter fruit, shaken by the gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. When the king of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the, the mountains and the rocks, fall on us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand it. And uh, so this passage right here, uh, what you see is you see God's judgment being poured out. Um, Christ is given all authority to the deed of the earth and it's sealed with these seven seals. And as he starts popping these seals on the scroll, God's judgment is starting to be poured out on sin and people. Um, but what's really cool is the next passage. Um, because when you start in, in seven, um, we're going to see this other angel, but, um, the previous chapter, it's concluding with this great question, uh, which is who is able to stand in the day of God's great wrath? And that is ultimately the question. When God's wrath is poured out, who is able to stand? And, and just like John was just crying because nobody was able, nobody was worthy mm -hmm. to have the deed. Nobody was worthy. Nobody was able to stand against God's judgment. So the, the, the sorrow and John weeping is because with nobody able to stand, everybody faces God's judgment. But then John's told to weep no more because there is one worthy to open the scroll. There is one able to stand and it's Christ. It's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And so Christ is our atonement. Christ is the sacrificial lamb and he is the one able to stand. So when you start chapter seven, after, the, after this, I saw the four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on the earth or the sea or against any of the trees. Then I saw another angel sent, uh, ascending from the rise of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice and the four angels who had be, been given power to harm the earth and the sea saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads and I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And so what's going on there is um, God never sends his judgment before sending the sealed angel in. And, uh, and Christ is that sealed angel. 
He is the one that has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And the 144,000, you hear all this talk, who are the 144,000? Well, when the church is taken up, then there's going to be 144,000 Jews, and we're going to go back to the dispensation of law, and these 144,000 Jews are going to be the ones that are saved. That's not what this is saying. The 144,000 is the church. It's those who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And, um, and, and so, um, so, so who are the 144,000? The answer is that it's, it's, it's the elect. It's God's sealed people that have been sealed by Christ. They've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And as God's judgment and wrath is being poured out on old covenant Israel, the, those who have been sealed are protected just like in Egypt, when God's wrath is being poured out against the Egyptians and Pharaoh, God's people are safe and they're sealed from his judgment and his persecution. Um, whether it's all the minor plagues, uh, we say minor, but I uh, would have been miserable. Uh, but all of the plagues that were poured out on Egypt, God's people were sealed from those. Mm. And the, the death angel, anybody who put the blood on the door, that blood sealed them. Uh, and so those of us that are covered in the blood of Christ are sealed from God's judgment because the lamb is worthy to take the throne and he has protected us and he has adopted us in to be co-heirs with Christ. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, so when you see the 144,000, um, what he's, it, that's, that's, it's not literally 144,000 people. Um, <clears throat> you're seeing these 12,000 from all of the tribes. Um, and these 12,000 from all of the tribes make up the 144,000. And then, so Paul, is, or sorry, uh, John, he heard the number of the sealed 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel and then it describes those 12 tribes to make up the 144,000. Uh, and after this, verse 9, after this I looked. So he's hearing the 144,000, and then he turns to look at the 144,000, and what does he see? He sees a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all of the tribes of the people and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the and to the lamb and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped god saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So when John hears, um, who are these that have been sealed? He's told it's the 144,000. And then he turns around to look and see the 144,000. And what does he see? He doesn't see 144,000 people. He sees a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, tribe, and tongue. So if you go back to the Abrahamic covenant, what was Abraham promised? You will have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, as many descendants as there is sand at the seashore. This 
what and what that's representing is this a, a multitude so great that no one can number them and that's the that's the those that's the elect that's God's people those who have been sealed by him and uh and so so that's who the 144,000 are it's it's God's people mm-hmm. um and and that is when Paul says you know who are the descendants of Abraham those circumcised of the flesh or those circumcised of the heart uh it's not those born under Abraham, but it's those who have been circumcised of the heart that are his descendants. Uh, so we are the the current new covenant church is the fulfillment of God's promise to the old covenant believer. Uh, old covenant, God makes his promise with Abraham. You will have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, as many descendants as there are sand on the seashore. Um, and the church is the fulfillment to that promise. Yeah. So, well, and something too, I was just kind of um, looking at. Um, you do see in the book of Revelation from time to time this pattern of John hearing something and then seeing something else, but the what he hears and what he sees is the same thing. It's just being, yeah, it is different though. And what so, like in Revelation 5, he says, you know, we read it. But it says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, um, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, John heard one of the elders say this. The elder describes Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then John turns and he sees, he says, in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes. Um, so both and it's both and so it's the same pattern being here in chapter seven, he hears the tribe, the 144,000 being called out he turns and he sees, um, the great multitude. So it's not two separate things. It is the same thing. They're one and the same. Right. So, so the lion of the tribe of Judah, the great conqueror who's worthy to open the scroll is also the lamb that was slain. Right. Yeah. And uh, and the hundred and forty four thousand sealed by God are all of His elect. You know, um, it is the believer. Uh, it is the one who's been sealed, and it also is this the multitude as much as the stars of the sky and the sand of the earth. Like they're they they're one and the same. Right. Um, it's not these hundred and forty four thousand individuals that will be um, this new institution of old covenant Israel. It is God's fulfillment to his old covenant people through the new covenant. Um, and this all goes back to what we were looking at the, at the Olivet Discourse because what we're seeing and as these judgments are coming, uh, so lo- looking at the four horsemen, the very first horseman, I've heard that said that this is the Antichrist um, because it's this person trying to be like Jesus on this white horse. But this person's been given a crown. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the, the first horseman is Christ and he's coming in judgment 
but he's also coming in salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, before his judgment comes, which is how chap- – so chapter 6, you see, now I watched the lamb open one of the seven scrolls, and they said, come, and uh, behold a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came conquering and to conquer. This is Christ who has now been given authority – over heaven and the earth, and he is making all of his enemies his footstool. Um, But before he does that, chapter 7, before that, um, I saw the angel standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds. So you see these angels, but they're holding back judgment, and they're waiting on what? The star that ascended from the rising of the sun, and he sealed... Um, let's see. And he has the seal of the living God. And then once he has sealed the 144,000, then God's judgment comes. So what you see is Christ is coming to save, but he's also coming in judgment against old covenant Israel, the lawbreakers. And, uh, and, and what we're going to see too, and I guess we can kind of get into it now, but um, the the so chapter seven, um, these seven seals of God, um, these are God's judgment on old covenant Israel. Uh, it's it's everything that Jesus was prophesying in the Olivet discourse that he's going to tear down the temple and he's going to build and establish a new temple, not made of earthly stone, but of living stones. Um, God's old covenant people who have betrayed him and been an adulterous generation are being destroyed and they are being renewed uh, with a new bride. And when we get to Revelation, uh, the end of Revelation, we're going to see that same thing. And it follows that same guideline that you said where John is told here, look, here's this. And then he turns and he sees something different. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you've got this multitude from every nation, then the seven seals, um, are, and the gold census are, are given. And, um, these, you see God's judgment on old covenant Jerusalem. So he's coming in salvation, but he's also coming in judgment. Um, so with that, um, I'm going to go to chapter 11 and specifically verse 8. Uh, well, no, let's, let's hit the two witnesses. Uh, in chapter 11, starting in verse 1, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside of the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations and... They will trample the holy city for twenty for forty two months, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for one thousand two hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed and to be killed. They have power to shut the sky 
that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beasts that rise from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the streets of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. So where was Jesus crucified? Was he crucified in Sodom or Egypt? No. No. Where was he crucified? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, So what we're seeing is Jerusalem is the new Egypt. Jerusalem is the new Sodom. Uh, It has become this people that have hard hearts towards God. And um, and one of the ways that we see that is through these two witnesses. So uh, going back to like dispensational understanding of this passage, what people have said is that once the church is raptured, you have the Antichrist takes power and you have the seven years of tribulation. And during the seven years of tribulation, you're going to have these two prophets that come, uh, these two witnesses, and they're going to have these great powers and they're going to be doing all this stuff. But ultimately, they're going to be killed and uh, everybody's going to see that fall take place. And so they're saying Elijah uh, and Elisha or um, somebody, mm-hmm. you know, uh, these two prophets are going to come back, maybe Moses and Elijah or Elisha and Elijah who never died, um, are going to come back. And, uh, but, but that's not what this is saying. Uh, this is talking about the old Testament prophets and, and how they were killed. And specifically the last old Testament prophet who is John the Baptist. Um, mm-hmm. he was the last prophet who killed John the Baptist. The emperor. Or not? Emperor. Well, it was it was, it was the the pseudo king yeah. of Israel, which yeah. was put there by by Rome, right? You know, and um, so I kind of give this away too. The beast, uh, Rome is the beast, mm. and um, but the prophets are um, these two witnesses. So uh, when you see it talking about the two witnesses, that's what we're what we're looking at is this is all of the prophets. Uh, a lot of the things they were given to do, you've got Moses that are doing these things. You've got Elijah that are doing these things. You've got God's prophets were given these powers because uh, it validated who they were sent by. They're sent by the King of Kings, the Lord of the Lords. They're sent by God the Father, and they're speaking on his behalf. And so they were given these abilities to say that what we're saying is true. Um, so uh, Moses had the ability to do all these things. Elijah had the ability to say for the rain to stop and it would stop. He had the ability to call down fire from heaven. Um, Moses had the ability to turn the Nile into blood. He had the ability to do all these things. Uh, that was power that was given to him by God for a purpose. And um, and so you have these two witnesses and and that's who they are. But what you also see is that old covenant Israel 
the old temple that Jesus is coming against and destroying uh, is the new Egypt. It's the new Sodom. These people have become wicked. They've turned their hearts against God. These are the ones that are screaming out, crucify him, let his blood be on us and on our children. And this is who God's coming in judgment against. That's who these bowls are poured out on. These bowls are a representation of God's judgment on Israel. And um, and as you see, um, chapter 12 is the woman and the dragon. Uh, and so we'll go to 12. Uh, a great sign appeared in heaven and a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and... On her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on the heads, seven diadems and the 12 swept and the tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260-something days. Um... And then you have uh, in 13, the first beast. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads with 10 diadems on its horns and a blasphemous name on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear and its mouth was like a lion. And so you have this beast that comes out of the sea. And then you also have, as you go on, the second beast. And I saw another beast rising out of the earth. And it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all authority of the first beast in its presence. Um, so the first beast that comes out of the sea is Rome. Um, you see these uh, seven-headed, ten-horned beast, and that is representation of Rome. Um, seven Caesars, uh, and Rome was the city on ten hills. It had ten, ten hills. Um, so the first beast is Rome. The second beast is um, is Old Covenant Israel, specifically um, the um, uh, the priesthood of Israel that was in cahoots with Rome. So uh, you've got Jesus being crucified by Rome, but that's through Israel. That's through the Sadducees and the Pharisees and um, and the crowd. And so the second beast is uh, Israel in cahoots with Rome. The first beast is Rome itself. Then you have the lamb and the 144,000 in chapter 14. Uh, I want to skip ahead to chapter 16, where you have the seven bulls of God's wrath being poured out. Um, so all of this is symbolic literature. It's apocalyptic literature talking about God's judgment on old covenant Israel. Jerusalem is being destroyed and he's creating a new Jerusalem. Um, just like if you look at how God judged Sodom, if you look at how God judged Egypt, um, 
these were a people who were against God with stiff hearts or stiff necks and hard hearts, and God brings judgment upon them. That's what God's doing in these chapters to Old Covenant Jerusalem. Um, because of their harlotry, because of their blasphemy, because of their idolatry against God, um, and, and they're whoring after other gods. God's bringing judgment, and he's doing it through Christ, um, who has been given all authority on heaven and on earth. Um, and in that, too, uh, going back, the, the red beast that the woman is on, um, this is Israel in cahoots with Rome to overthrow and, and crucify Christ. Um, but, uh, so, so Israel is the harlot, uh, and, and she's in cahoots with Rome. And, uh, so God's judgment is being poured out. Um, one thing that I've heard a lot lately, the Euphrates river, Mm -hmm. Uh, people are saying the Euphrates river is starting to dry up. And as soon as it does, there's going to be all these demons that come out and terrify the world. And so we need to get ready because this is about to happen. Um, that's coming from chapter 16. Um, and what that's saying there is, uh, what's that in verse 12? Verse 12 yeah, is where it starts. So, um, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go about, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be, be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Um, and, and so what's happening here is... Uh, Thinking about the Euphrates, uh, when you go back to Belshazzar, when when Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall in Daniel, uh, and it's prophesied that you're about to be destroyed, uh, the way that he was destroyed by Xerxes, Artaxerxes, um, <clears throat> was they rerouted the Euphrates, and then they just came in and and killed Belshazzar. Um, this is uh, a sign of their doom. But then also, if you think about rivers being dried up or water being dried up, that's also a sign of God's blessing on his people. So think about Moses and all of the Israelites that are fleeing Egypt and they're being pursued by Egypt. And then they get to the Red Sea and then Moses raises the staff and the waters part and the people walk through on dry land. And then the Egyptians follow and the waters crash on them and kill all of them. Um, so we're seeing more of God's judgment against old covenant Israel, but God's blessing and protection and all of that on his new covenant people, uh, those that have been sealed. Uh, but the way that this is going to happen is through these three different entities. Um, 
And, and this takes us back to, because these things that come out of the mouth of the beast are three frogs. And, uh, that takes us back to God's judgment on Egypt. Uh, one of the plagues was the plague of frogs, you know? Um, so old covenant Israel is the new Egypt and God is judging and destroying the new Egypt, just like he did the old Egypt. But in doing that, he's still saving and making a way for his people with the Euphrates drying up. Um, so God is saving his new bride, the church, uh, while bringing judgment on the old covenant people. Or a better way of saying it is the same way that he describes it in um, the Olivet Discourse. He's tearing down this old temple and he's rebuilding it with new living stones, this new people. Uh, because of the disease that is in the house and it needs to be destroyed. So uh, then you got the great prostitute, which is Israel and the beast. She's writing Rome uh, chapter 17. Then out of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute, which is what we've been talking about, who is seated on who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. So Israel is in cahoots with Rome. Rome is the beast. Israel is the woman, old covenant Israel. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Think of the priests for the old covenant. The priest would dress up in this way. And and on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and the earth's abomination. So God has completely turned his back in judgment on old covenant Israel, who is now... Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and the earth's abomination. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Old covenant Israel are the ones that killed all of the prophets. They killed the witnesses and they were the ones that were yelling, let his blood be on us and on our children, talking about Christ. Um, Old covenant Israel are the ones that martyred Stephen, Old Covenant Israel is who uh, Paul was holding the coats for when they killed Stephen. But because of his um, coming to Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul is taken off of that and then becomes um, one of the the leading fathers for the new covenant, Mm. you know? So um, when I saw her, I marveled greatly, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the 10 horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the blood in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Hold on. Let me get this closer to me. I don't have my glasses today. Uh, The beast that you saw was 
and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is and another is not yet to come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not in it, it is an eight, but hold on. Uh, as for the beast that was and is not, it is an eight, eighth, but must remain only a little while. No, it is an eighth, but belongs to the seventh, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are the ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they have handed over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those who are with him are called the chosen and faithful. So um, what you see is the beast, this dragon, um, that also has a third of the fallen stars with it, uh, what happened with Rome and why Rome was so powerful is Rome was controlled by Satan. Um, Satan had power over the earth. And so when you see these great armies, uh, the, Assyri- the the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Medo-Persians, uh, Greece, and then Rome, these are armies that Satan had full control over. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was empowering them and enabling them. And, uh, and Rome is that last one. And this goes back to Daniel's prophecy too of the, the big statue that's made up of the, the different things. Uh, and, and the, the final part is the iron and clay and that's Rome as well. Um, and, and what this is talking about is this beast is made up of these Kings, five that were the one that is, and then one that is to come, the, those are the Caesars. Um, mm-hmm. There were five Caesars. There was one Caesar that was ruling at that time, uh, Augustine, I think. And no, no, Caesar Augustus. Yeah, uh, and then after him was Nero. Yeah, he's the one that is to come, and um, and then, uh, but. Satan is using Rome. Satan is empowering Rome, and then the harlot, old covenant Israel partners with the beast Rome to crucify Christ. And it's this last attempt to, to defeat God and Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're all conquered. They're all defeated. Christ beats sin, death, and the grave. And, um, Jesus is victorious. He's been given all authority. He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And now he's bringing judgment on all of these things. Um, and and so you have this stone going back to Daniel that was not shaped by man. Um, that stone is the church. Rome trips over this church and it shatters Rome completely. Um, and, and you see that play out in history too because one of the things of, of Rome was everywhere they would conquer, 
they had to say Caesar is Lord. Mm-hmm. And the Christians wouldn't do it. Um, they would say Jesus is Lord. And they would be they would be martyred. They would be executed. They were killed in the Colosseum. They were used. Uh, Nero would use Christians as lamps for his dinner parties. Um, he would put them in some kind of gasoline solution and light them on fire. And you would hear them screaming. Um, but the church did not bend to Rome. Uh, and so you've got this little stone that mighty Rome kicks and it sends the church all over the world and it completely shatters Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Rome is destroyed as well. Um, but in, before it's destroyed, uh, Rome consumes Israel and Nero consumes Israel, goes into the temple, um, you know, Rome, when they go into the temple, they, uh, he urinates on the altar, uh, sacrifices a pig on the altar, and then completely tears down and destroys the altar. So, uh, you see the destruction in these chapters of Old Covenant Israel. Then we're going to skip ahead to uh, Revelation 21, the new heaven and the new earth. So, it, Old Covenant Israel has been destroyed, the old temple has been destroyed. Uh, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Old covenant, the end of an era, that era has come. When will this time be Jesus? When will these things take place? What is the sign of your kingdom? Um, That has happened. The, The temple has been destroyed. God's judgment has been poured out on Jerusalem. That era is over. Now we're seeing this establishment of a new heaven and this establishment of a new earth. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who thirsts, I will give, um, the, sorry, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portions will be given in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me saying, "'Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb.'" And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. 
it had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the East three gates, on the North three gates, on the South three gates and on the West three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. And on the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city lies four square. It, it's linked the same as its width. And the measure of the city with the rod, 12,000 stadii, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured the wall, 144 cubits by human measurement which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the walls of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth cornelian, the seventh all of these different <laughs> different things. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or of moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will all of the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there they will bring into the glory they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter nor any nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the lamb's book of life and then i'm going to go on and then we'll come back and talk about it then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the streets to the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit for each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it. And his servant will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And the night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or the sun for the Lord their God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And so what's going on here is just like we talked about, John is told, hey, look, I, I saw... Uh, he came and spoke to me and said, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Who is the wife of the lamb? Who is the bride of Christ? The church. The church. So John is told to come and to see the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me. And so then he turns and he's shown and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God. And then it describes heaven, Right. So the church is the dwelling place of God. The church is the new heaven. The church is, we see this new Jerusalem um, because I saw the new heaven and the new earth for the first had, earth had been passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So God's destruction 
has come against old covenant Israel. There is now a new heaven and a new earth. There is a new Jerusalem. It is the church. And what is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is to bring healing and water to the all of the nations. Um, it, it brings, uh, uh, where is it? Uh, let's see. The angel showed me the river of water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb and through the middle of the streets and on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit for each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Uh, no longer will there be any anything accursed. And so the church is bringing healing to the nations. It's become this stone that was kicked and it's turning into a mountain that's going to fill the whole earth. And, um, and, and, and so um, that is us. This is what age we are in right now. God is making all of his enemies his footstool through his body, which is the church, uh, which is the new heaven. It is God's new dwelling place. If you think about the Old Testament uh, in the Garden of Eden, what do you find in the garden? You find all of these stones and emeralds and onyx and sapphire and all of that stuff. Those were all in the garden. And now that is describing the church. Um, it's basically, we are the new Eden. Um, and out of Eden, out of God's dwelling place with his people, out of, which is what heaven is, heaven is where God dwells with his people. Uh, Eden is like the first heaven. Um, now you have God dwelling with his people. And uh, out of that is flowing the river of life that brings water and life to all the nations. And out of that, you have this living tree and its leaves and branches are for the healing of the nations. So, uh, so that is us. That is the church. That is the age that we're living in. That is this new era. It is this new bride. It is the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, the last thing that I kind of forgot to talk about is um, who is the Antichrist, um, well, yeah, I was going to mention something a little bit about that. Yeah, go ahead. Um, and I think you might go into this as well when we talk, I don't know if you mentioned like 666 and all that stuff when you talk about this, but um, when you read uh, chapter 22, verse 4, uh, it says they, speaking of, you know, the church, speaking of us, it says they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And then you go back to... Um, Chapter seven, when he's talking about the hundred and forty-four thousand, um, and it says in verse three, chapter seven, saying, "Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads." So you see this completion in chapter twenty-two of what's going on in chapter seven. Do not harm until we have sealed them on their foreheads. You yeah. see in verse 22, his name will be on their foreheads. So they are sealed. Yes. So, yeah. And um, specifically too, in chapter seven, that sealing on their foreheads, that goes back to the Olivet Discourse where Jesus said the abomination of desolation, when you see these things take place, flee to the mountains. Mm -hmm. Those that fled the Exodus, those that left, 
um, they became the um, the Jewish believing church. Yeah, and uh, but so so that's what the uh, the the mark on the foreheads, um, the seal on the forehead. That's the exodus of the Christians from Jerusalem. Um, those that left, those that saw those signs and took heed, um, were the ones that were sealed and they were saved mm-hmm. from that destruction. So, but go ahead. Well, no, I was done. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so getting into the beast, uh, we kind of talked about that. The beast is Rome. Um, and the antichrist is, uh, is, is Caesar. Um, and, and, and. The the Antichrist is Caesar. The mark of the beast is uh, all right. So six six six. We're getting back into numbers. Seven is perfection. Six is one less than perfection. It's the sign of man or flesh or sinfulness, fallenness. Um, because um, so anything a trilogy of numbers is that ultimately personified? So like 777 would be like God's holiness ultimately personified. Or when you see the angels and they're proclaiming holy, 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 repetition is importance and a trilogy of repetition is ultimate importance. Um, So the angels are proclaiming holy, holy, holy uh, is the Lord of hosts. And, um, And 666 is ultimate fallenness. Um, it's, it's ultimate imperfection. It's, it's less of seven. And, uh, and so the mark of the beast is six, six, six. There's, uh, one thing that you can YouTube. Uh, I don't have the time to get into it today, but specifically looking at, uh, numbers in, in the Bible, numbers are very important and you can, uh, figure a lot of things out, but, uh, look up a YouTube video on 666 being the numerical value of neuron, neuron Caesar, mm. uh, Nero, um, look that up. I, I, like I said, I don't have time to get into that today, but, um, you know, uh, it, there's a very good argument for, 666 being the number value of Caesar, uh, Nero specifically, who is the um, seventh ruler of the beast. Um, And uh, the mark of the beast is emperor worship in those days. But for us today, it would be... So uh, when Rome came, it brought a whole worldview with it. they worshipped the the idols of Rome. They used the money of Rome. They they did all these things, and to partake in that, they had to declare Caesar to be Lord. Um, those that did not proclaim Caesar to be Lord could not partake in the Roman uh, world system that they had set in place. So they couldn't buy or eat or sell. Uh, they couldn't do all of these things because Rome wouldn't allow it. Um, in fact, what we talked about, like if they didn't say Caesar was Lord, they would be executed. And so you had a lot of people that would take the mark of the beast um, by proclaiming Caesar to be Lord. And when you think about it on their uh, foreheads or in their hands, that takes you back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
teach these things to your children and wear them on your forehead and on your hands. Uh, what that meant in Deuteronomy was the truth that God is one and we shall love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength should be on our foreheads. It should be what we think about and it should be on our hands, which is what we do. The truth of that statement should impact how we think and how we act. Uh, the mark of the beast on the forehead and on the hands is I've given into the Roman system or the worldly system today um, to the point that it's determined how I think and how I act. So to take the mark of the beast is living according to the world system and not according to a biblical worldview. Um, letting that penetrate your mind and your actions. That is taking the mark of the beast. Mm. <clears throat> so um, what am I leaving out? Yeah, I can't I can't think of anything. I think that's pretty much through a lot of I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, there's obviously a lot that we're leaving out, but it's that's pretty much all of the big uh things that people talk about um when they're reading the the news. (laughs) Yeah. So Um, I hope that this has been helpful. I know it's a lot. Um I, I hope that you're seeing though my goal is, like we've said, for this to be consistent throughout. Um, one of the signs of a failed argument is a lack of consistency. Uh, and and I'm, I'm trying to, to help show that we're not just trying to believe something weird or different uh, because we're scared that the end's coming. Mm. Um, but I think that if we look at Scripture consistently, and I think the reason that we have a promise— in, in this book um, is because uh, if we understand this, it drives the way that we live. Our call is Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires to take water of life without price. Like, That is the gospel. Um, Christ is the river of living water. And anybody who's thirsty can come and drink. And the church is to be bringing that water to the nations for the purpose of the healing of the nations. Sin is pervasive. But in Genesis chapter 3, there was a proclamation given that, that sin is going to be crushed by the, the Messiah. Um, out of the woman, we see sin enters the world, but from the woman will come the one who will defeat and conquer sin, death, and the grave. And Christ has come, and he did everything that he said he was going to do. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, and he has now been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And he's now calling us to go and tell everybody to obey him. There's a call to submission to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this goes back into what you were saying in your your denial. We need to be that mouthpiece of Christ. And if we're thinking that we're in the last days and Christ is about to take the church and then everything is going to get bad, 
that does not cause us to engage the culture with the truth of the gospel. We need to, to understand the spirit and the bride say, come and let anyone who hears come and let anyone who is thirsty come and anyone who desires to take of the water of life without price to come. That needs to be our call. We need to be engaging the culture with the truth of the gospel. Uh, our, our name is Locust and Honey Podcast because we, we can identify with John the Baptist. And what was he saying? Repent for the Lord draws near, mm. right? Uh, make way the way of the Lord. And, and that is our call. And that should be your call. And if we understand that God has given Christ all authority and we are the new covenant people, we are the bride of Christ, we are the new Jerusalem, we have therefore been given all authority in heaven and on earth because he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Mm -hmm. Go and make disciples and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. That should be our call. Uh, that is our call, but that should be our desire. That should be what we're engaging in and that should be what we're doing. And um, so I hope that this is helpful. I hope that it's inspiring to you. Uh, I, I think that the reason that there's a promise of blessing for those that study the book of Revelation uh, is because of that. It gives us direction. It gives us empowerment. It gives us courage. It gives us strength to know that we are the bride of Christ. He has been given all authority and he is taking us and making us into a mountain that's going to fill the whole earth. There's going to, you're going to turn and you're going to see a vast multitude that can't be numbered of every tribe, nation, and tongue. All people groups will have people that profess the name of Christ. And, uh, and so we should not be nervous about that when we look at the culture around us, but know that we are more than conquerors. So... That's our hope in this uh, for you and our prayer for you is that you will be that and, uh, and invade the culture with the truth of the gospel. Yep. So if you're still here, we love you guys. Uh, I know that this is a long one today, but um, it's important stuff. So have a good Lord's Day and we will see you next week. That we will. Mm, bye-bye. Mm.